Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Ready to love the skin you're in? Meet Dr. Kira Barr, a dual board certified dermatologist, menopause specialist, and the author of The Skin Whisperer. A dermatologist reveals how to look younger, radiate beauty, and live the life you crave. Kira creates glowing skin from the inside out and complements her medical work with inner work to help midlife women feel at ease in their body and comfortable in their skin. I am so excited to have her with us today to kick off our September shows and our focus on beauty and sleep. Welcome, Kira. Thank you. Excited to be here. Can you tell our listeners where you're joining us from today? I live on an island. <laughs> I love Sometimes it. Sometimes I feel like I'm always alone on an island, but I live <laughs> on a literal island. Um south of Seattle. So in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We have listeners from all over the country. So when people are uh, tuning in from different spots, it's kind of fun to hear where they're coming from. So thank you so much for being with me today. I'm really, I'm excited. And and I want to start by asking you about something I read on your website. I know you've had a 20-year career as a doctor, that you were a professor of dermatology. And your website says, I'm not here to help you defy aging. I'm here to help you really enjoy midlife and show up the way you want to in the world. And I love this because as midlife women, you know, we're often bombarded with anti-aging marketing and ads, and you really take an age-positive approach to your patient care. So I was curious, has this always been the case or has this evolved as you yourself have aged? It's a great question. And, you know, I think it's something I've always felt, you know, when I was practicing dermatology, and I've stepped away from traditional practice, but I am a clinical dermatologist, but I was always behind the microscope. You know, if you ever had a biopsy, I was the one to make the diagnosis. So I had always kind of shied away from aesthetics in some way, because I thought I already kind of feel, is it okay to say? Yeah. (laughs) You can say whatever you We are, listen, to myself. listen, um, you don't make it to midlife without being able to say what you want. Go for okay. it, please. Exactly. No, but I mean, I already struggled with feeling shitty about myself. I mean, yeah. I realized um, how I even wound up in dermatology and it really didn't become clear until very recently. Like I was bullied as a kid for what was on my skin. And at a very young age, I realized that appearance can be a source of shame, anxiety and overwhelm. And I really, in some ways took offense. Like I, I don't get me wrong. Their aesthetic procedures and, and their products and, and other things that are amazing, but it, it has to be the intention behind it. And I think for women, um, we are conditioned to believe that there is something wrong with us, that we need to cover up, that we need to fix it. Anti-aging. Are you kidding me? None of us are Benjamin Button. We are aging. Yes, totally. So, and like, so, I'm frankly, I'm grateful to be aging because it certainly beats the alternative. You know. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I think you know, I champion for women who want to take really good care of themselves. Right, be empowered to indulge in things. If it is a little Botox, a little filler, uh, a little laser, absolutely. If you're doing it from a place of love to amplify what you already feel is amazing versus doing it because you think doing these things is going to somehow make you feel beautiful. Like it just doesn't work like that. So I really want to kind of shift the conversation that you don't need all the things to enjoy midlife. In fact, we can put a lot of that aside and really just embrace who we are 
And like you said, celebrate the fact that we are on this side of the dirt right now. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's uh, getting older is a, is a privilege. It's a gift. Um, you know, we we've all had people in our lives. I'm sure that we've lost, and it's you know we're happy to be to be here. So uh, I really uh, connect with that with that spirit. So it sounds like at one point you were you know behind the microscope and doing you know very academic dermatology. When did you start to shift into doing? client works. I know that's those are some of the services that you offer today to patients. Yeah. So right now I'm full-time doing coaching and consulting. So it really started, um, right. Stemming from my childhood, uh, and, um, feeling really uncomfortable in my skin and spending years sun tanning and burning myself, not realizing the impact that that was having, having on my skin. And so about nine years ago, fast forward, I'm a dermatologist. The focus of my career is skin cancer and melanoma. And I found a spot on my arm that I had to diagnose myself both, both clinically and pathologically uh, with melanoma. So I had to diagnose myself with a very disease that I was an expert at treating. And it was kind of like a wake up call for me, but not enough of a wake up call. It wasn't until my health really started to go downhill where I tore my hip because I was running ultra marathons. I was over exercising. I was overworking. I was burning myself out. I was hustling for my work, like hustling my way all, you know, to cancer, hormone imbalances and burnout and going to my Western trained physician colleagues asking for help, seeking help and just getting a pile of pills and still feeling like shit. And I thought, okay, I'm a physician uh, of over 20 years and I don't know what the hell is going on with my body. I don't know how to help myself. How is the average woman supposed to understand what is happening in her body? Right. So it really led me down the path of um, pursuing functional uh, medicine and integrative medicine and getting coaches and getting finally getting into therapy and, you know, all the things. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that there is a different way. It doesn't have to be this way. And there's so many of us women who are just struggling and need the support. And if I can come through this, anyone can, but we all need a guide. Yeah, right? you so need support and information. Yeah. So was this when you became, was this when you got your, because um, I know that you're a menopause specialist as well. Was this part of your transformation in your journey when you started to embrace functional medicine and do those studies? Yeah. So it was part of my, my own healing. Um, and it was just actually in this past year, because when I, I had to, have, like, I chose to have a hysterectomy um, several years ago. So I don't actually know when I technically would have gone into menopause, but it was kind of forced upon me, um, and wasn't really feeling well. And so my physician put me on bioidentical hormones and, and she said to me, you know, you should meet the founder of this company who was making these, uh, bioidentical or, um, oils. Uh, It was, it was bioidentical, uh, hormone replenishment therapy in organic oils. And so I, set up a call to, to meet him. And next thing, you know, it's supposed to be a 20 minute meet and greet. Here's our product. Da, da, da. And next thing I know I'm, I'm enrolled in a mentorship Wow! <laughs> <laughs> of like, you know, learning how to do this. I thought this is amazing. How can I help other women help myself and help other women? And this was an intense year of really diving back into medicine, 
But what I found is when I was spending an hour with women, you know, optimizing their hormones, things look really balanced on paper. The majority of our time together would be spent helping her navigate the anxiety and the stress and the overwhelm that wasn't going away just by balancing her hormones. And I realized this is where I need to focus my work. All the work I had done in mind, body medicine and mindful self-compassion and all the things like this is where I felt like I could help women the most. And that really has parlayed into what I'm doing now, full-time coaching midlife women. I love that. That's such an interesting transition that you were able to take what you know you were experiencing and recognize that that your patients were coming to you from the same things and to go on this journey together. So I'm curious, when you became, you know, when you took on this menopause specialty studies, you know, we all know that uh, menopause and that midlife does produce changes in our bodies. You know, while we are age positive on this show and we're excited about midlife and we're, you know, we feel confident uh, now that we're here, we still do want to take care of ourselves and be healthy and feel and look great. And that menopause can sometimes get in the way for that for us. So in terms of the changes that we can expect to see, you know, in our skin, um, for example, since this is your specialty with, you know, wrinkles and brown spots and, you know, increasing and in, in bruising and healing more slowly, what are the most common concerns that, that you see in a woman's skin during midlife and during menopause? Yeah, you touched on a bunch of them, but I think some of the common um, things that women will say be like, all right, I'm going bald. I'm growing a beard like WTF. Like, what is <laughs> happening right now? <laughs> and um, is that the thing? I actually haven't heard. Like my friends and I talk about everything, and no one has confessed to having beards yet. So don't be. Yeah. Is it true? Well, that wait, not not grow- a full on beard, but they're they're noticing like the coarse hair. Some women are shaving. They're like, "What is going on? I'm growing hair on my face, and I'm losing it on my head." That I don't appreciate this at all. Right. This is like a bad combo. <laughs> it is. It is a bad combo, and you know what. What it comes down to is starting in our mid to late thirties, uh, well, starting in our twenties, you know, our hormones are really shifting, but what, but it becomes more noticeable starting in our mid to late thirties. Really many women are entering perimenopause in their thirties and, and may not be able to connect the dots. They may not realize this, right? I didn't because I thought menopause was something that happens in your late forties at the earliest fifties. Like I had no idea, right? They didn't teach us this in medical school. So um, starting in your mid to late thirties, progesterone is the first hormone that starts to diminish the most rapidly. And progesterone is the great calming hormone. Really, it helps. It elevates in the second half of pregnancy. It's really what relaxes the muscles so we can you know, more easily deliver these babies. And it also helps us feel more relaxed and calm in our body. So Starting in your mid to late thirties, you might notice, hmm, I'm not sleeping as well, or I'm feeling a little bit more anxious. I mean, I know I'm a type A person, but like I am really feeling more anxious. And that may be the impact of progesterone starting to decline. Progesterone has a, an interplay with a brain chemical called GABA, which also helps modulate that sense of calm and relaxation. Now, why I'm mentioning this is just to kind of set the stage of the next hormone that really starts to diminish is your estrogen. It is declining at the same time as progesterone, but not as at a precipitous rate. And estrogen really is what we think of when it comes to our skin health. So estrogen plays such a significant role in collagen formation, in hyaluronic acid production. So it gives skin that youthful, supple appearance. It also has an impact on your hair cycle. 
So estrogen plays a role on prolonging that hair growth phase, which is why when those of us who have been pregnant, you know, your hair just looks luscious and full when you're pregnant. Yes. And then once you have that baby, all of a sudden it's just like massive shedding, yes, right? Cause totally. hair cycles just shift, right? <laughs> you're not imagining it and there's nothing wrong with you. That's it's actually, this is a natural process. Your hair grows in three separate phases, a resting phase, a growing phase and a falling out phase. And so when we are going through that menopause transition, as estrogen is declining, your hairs aren't staying in the growth phase as long. So hair, um, you know, isn't growing as rapidly, not, not as, uh, and your hair cycle is not always in sync. And the, and the caveat to that is then you've got your androgens, your testosterone now on your scalp, um, and so, so progesterone is going down first, then estrogen is starting to decline and testosterone is also starting to decline, but at an even slower rate. So you have a relative, what we call a relative androgen dominance. And on the scalp, what happens is, um, testosterone can cause the hair follicles on your scalp to what we call miniaturize, get the caliber of the hair gets thinner. So it looks like your hair is thinning. You might have widening of the part, right? Male pattern baldness, female pattern baldness, but on your face, the androgens have the exact opposite. They can stimulate hair growth. So this seems so up. unfair. This seems yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And so progesterone and why I mentioned why it, um, the importance of it declining first is progesterone does play a role in blocking the testosterone from converting to its more potent form, right? So without as much progesterone on board, you've got this kind of more potent form of testosterone going after those hair follicles, all the more that you're noticing your hair is thinning and that you're, you might have coarse hairs growing on your face. So it is, it is, um, it's fascinating in terms of the science, but it's a real pain in the ass if you're a woman who's dealing with this. So. And so what are some of the solutions then? Is it to regulate your hormones uh, internally by diet and, and medicine, or is it also to um, incorporate um, kind of, I don't know, uh, stress-busting techniques that help reset your hormones? What do you recommend to patients who are struggling with this? It's a great question. And the answer is it depends and all of it. <laughs> so it really, you know, depending on where a woman is in her transition, um, how regular her cycles are, what is her lifestyle? I always start with finding out like, what's going on in your world? Like, how are you sleeping? What is your day-to-day -day like? Are there certain stressors that are shifting your hormones further out of balance. They're naturally going to be declining, but are we speeding up the process? As you mentioned, stress, stress is huge. Our body prioritizes our survival. And as we are feeling stress, either physical, emotional, whether real or perceived, like, hello, we're living in a pandemic. We're living There's through the hurricanes. most stressful There's time. Yes. Anyone can really imagine. Stressful times. And so we're, we're meant to have acute stress response to get out of harm's way immediately, but most of us feel like we're living in harm's way at all times. So as your stress hormone cortisol is staying high, it is basically telling the rest of your body, like, yeah, we are not going to prioritize um, thyroid function. <laughs> we're not going to prioritize your libido. Like we, we don't got time for that. <laughs> we just got to survive. So in order to, create the resources to keep that stress response going, all your hormones have the same building block. 
right? And so to your stress response is going to kind of commandeer those building blocks. And so you may notice an exacerbation of symptoms that you would see in menopause more intensely and aggressively when there's significant stress. So I think getting stress under control because you can't get rid of it, but learning how to work with it, learning how to be okay with the uncertainty and the discomfort, which I'll tell you is, is hard to do on your own, which is why this is what I spend most of the t- my time uh, working with women in terms of equipping them with tools to do this. To coach um, them. Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes so much sense. And so if, if, if someone's incorporating uh, one-on-one coaching with you or a doctor, or if they're working on stress mitigation techniques, which there are so many wonderful ones like yoga, meditation, being outdoors, those are all you know phenomenal. Um, what about do you ever recommend uh, medicines? You know, are there or are, are there um, sort of homeopathic solutions that you might recommend, sort of bolstering the coaching with? Yeah, absolutely. So there are certain um, supplements that could be very helpful. I think first of all, before we exchange a prescription pill for a supplement pill, again, really looking at how they're moving, how they're eating how they're sleeping, what factors may be getting in the way and kind of decluttering that first before we pile on a bunch of pills. But there are certain um, supplements like magnesium or some of the adaptogens that can like ashwagandha, holy basil, rhodiola, that can really help our bodies kind of Mm re-equilibrate. Yeah. Magnesium can be very effective. I remember taking it a couple of years ago when I had a low magnesium, I guess, a level. And I remember reading something about how you shouldn't take it if you're driving at some points because it really helps um, knock you out for sleep, which I found surprising. And I, I know, obviously, this is a case-by-case basis. You need to check with your doctor. And I was given the advice to take it, and I found it very uh, helpful. With, yeah, uh, absolutely. Getting to bed. And so if anyone's sort of struggling with that, it could be certainly something to ask your doctor and get your levels tested. Uh, I'm curious about things like that. I know that plague um, some of the friends that I talk to or I look at my own hands, you know, things like, um, you know, th- some of the other ch- physical changes to our skin that come with menopause that can be upsetting. You know, it starts to wrinkle. It starts to discolor. Um, we start to get baggier eyes and things of that nature. Um, what are some recommendations that you make? And I'm sure this is all impacted by menopause and age, but what would be some recommendations that you would make to fix some of those those um, challenges that are that are making it hard to look in the mirror and feel like, you know, I feel inside I feel 26, but when I look in the mirror sometimes I'm like, huh, I could look a little different. What yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, j- just as I mentioned, you know, as estrogen is diminishing and plays such a significant role in collagen formation and that hyaluronic acid <clears throat> production, you will notice as it diminishes that the skin may be a little bit saggier, a little bit thinner, a little bit drier. Um, and so that can happen naturally. Yes. So what can you do? Um, a lot of it is prevention, right? And it goes back to lifestyle factors like sleep is beauty sleep is is real i mean what can you do to help optimize your sleep you know putting a hard stop on on our time on our devices a couple of hours before we go to bed or wearing blue blocking glasses really um keeping alcohol if <laughs> i always make a joke i'm like listen i like a glass of wine or a cocktail but we might have to start 
drink, like having you know, like day drinking, <laughs> because it really does mess up with mess up your sleep. It totally does, especially wine. I think with all the sugar. Yeah. And, um, it definitely interferes with sleep cycles. So I always start with what are the simple things that we can do? And sleep is one of the things that doesn't always come easily for us women transitioning to menopause because of hot flashes and other things, but hot flashes, warm rushes, there are, are things in our lifestyle that we're doing that are making those worse really. So kind of being a detective of what we can eliminate, are there some modifications we can make to our diet, adding fat, fiber, and protein to all our meals and keeping them balanced. So you don't have this blood sugar spike and dip. That's going to, you know, jolt you awake at night because that's a stress response. So, um, and the reason why that's so important is your skin rejuvenates at night. So it's only when we sleep that we produce melatonin and melatonin is one of the most potent antioxidants that our body can produce. It is so potent. You know, they were, there were studies during the height of COVID looking at melatonin to help boost immunity. They're using it as adjuvant therapy for cancer wow. treatment, breast cancer, lung cancer, skin cancer. So, and your body produces this naturally. And so it helps repair the DNA damage that you are incurring every day from air pollution, UV exposure. Um, and so prioritizing your sleep so your body can naturally heal itself is so important. So that's number one. Number two, 90% of visible signs of aging are from ultraviolet exposure. And so, yes, if you live in a place like I do where the sun isn't always shining, don't kid yourself, you're still getting sun exposure 365 days a year, of upwards of 80% of UV rays penetrate those clouds. In fact, UVA rays, those aging rays, they penetrate your window glass. So if you're like me sitting in my office with my desk in front of the window, I'm getting sun exposure while I'm inside. And on top of that, sitting in front of my computer with the blue light. And then we know blue light can also contribute to pigmentation and can affect the collagen and the elastin. So wearing a tinted moisturizer that has SPF 30 or above, even while indoors is beneficial because the tint, the iron oxide and the tint will help block the blue light. This is so fascinating because I keep hearing about blue light and I think about blue light glasses and have, you know, reading with them at night. So it, it doesn't interfere with your sleep. But I, I don't think I've ever heard someone say that I should be like paying attention to that when I'm sitting at my computer. And this is such a good tip. I love that because we, we do hear about the importance of um, sunscreen. And I'm curious, so SPF 30, is that what we should be aiming for? At a minimum, at a minimum. At a minimum. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so the other thing too, is like, I have, I use a, a product that I, I love because it has hyaluronic acid. Um, it's tinted. And so, yeah, I'm wearing sunscreen when I'm indoors, but it kind of serves as like my foundation and I don't really wear makeup. So it kind of just evens out my skin tone and just makes me feel like I'm quote unquote dressed, even though I'm not. I just have, by wearing my moisturizer. Yes, <laughs> I, have, I have taken that on. I've got very, very freckly Irish skin, and I have been a big sunblock user my whole life, and and very low. Um, you know, I just I don't have an organized makeup routine, honestly, because I'm too lazy. But a few years ago, I did start using a tinted moisturizer with SPF in it, and I absolutely love it for exactly all the reasons you outlined. You know, you feel a little bit glowy, you look a little bit polished, and I know that it's, you know, it's get it's giving me the SPF I need just to walk around. I want to ask you a question before I lose track of my thought on this. You were mentioning the importance of melatonin, which our body produces naturally as we sleep. Um, can we derive the same benefits from melatonin supplements or are those separate? You still need, you need to sleep and tell me what's yeah, the so, difference. So as we mature, um, 
the melatonin is produced in a gland called the pineal gland. And we naturally produce less as we are getting older. And so that's why some people, you know, that can contribute to um, sleep challenges. When we take melatonin as a supplement, unless you're taking it at super high doses, and this is what was being studied um, with COVID and and for uh, cancer therapy, um, like the 0.5 milligram to th- upwards of three milligrams that are in over-the-counter supplements or what you can get that won't ha- likely have the same benefit as the super high doses and what your body naturally produces, but it will help ease you into sleep. The challenge when you take melatonin um, as a supplement, some people don't tolerate it very well. They wake up feeling hungover and groggy or have very vivid dreams So oftentimes when I'm recommending any sort of supplement for sleep, I'm really focusing on helping to balance that stress response more with adaptogens, things like magnesium. Like you said, for magnesium for sleep, I take magnesium every night with my progesterone. like the two together just knock me out. That sounds like a great one too. Everyone, <laughs> everyone who's listening is like, give me that. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, the, the menopause sleep issues are no joke. I've talked about them a lot on this show and life is crazy. It, it, there's a lot going on in the world right now. It is stressful and uh, feels overwhelming at times and it definitely can interfere with your, your, your good night's sleep. So uh, I really I love talking about sleep on the show because I, I feel that every it is the cornerstone to health and sanity and it makes everything else work better. And now that you've told me that it's so important for my skin, I'm even, <laughs> I'm going to be even more uh, more committed to it. So you you mentioned adaptogens just a minute ago. Can you tell our listeners what what is an adaptogen and where might they find them since they sound important? <laughs> Yeah. So adaptogens, essentially, um, they help your body adapt to stress and, and kind of um, regain what we call homeostasis, kind of a balance or um, helping your body function as it was intended. And so examples of adaptogens are um, herbs like ashwagandha, holy basil, rhodiola, um, other ones that I, I'm thinking of in my favorite combination are lemon balm, magnolia. They really help your body feel more calm at ease. And it's not a quick, um, you don't just take it once and it works. Kava sometimes can have a um, more immediate effect, but it's something that you take. Usually it's a twice a day um, supplementation and it's over a course of several weeks three, six, eight weeks that you really start to notice because your body isn't like a on off switch, right? It takes time to kind of get back in balance. So for anyone who's interested in experimenting, number one, I would do it under the guidance of someone who's familiar, like a, a, a your physician or an integrative uh, medicine practitioner. Um, but also know that taking it a couple of times and you're not feeling anything, don't give up right? It's not intended to be a quick fix. Gotcha. Um, I love that. Yeah, sticking to beauty routines. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, what to do for healthy, glowy skin, you know, but this you've sort of segued into this, you know, when do you do it? So you've talked about the importance of having a consistent routine when you're trying something new to, um, you know, repair your skin or to uh, pull adaptogens into your life to sort of reset your hormones. But 
for those of us that are listening right now who thought, you know, God, I remember the 80s when I had like all the, you know, the copper tone oil and I was, you know, baking away. Uh, is it too late to be making changes to our skin right now? Or if you're most of my listeners are kind of in their mid 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, do we need to continue to keep maintaining? You know, is there a point when like sunblock becomes irrelevant? You know, talk to me a little bit about when you can do interventions that will make a difference. Um, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone stop listening. I want you to run and apply some sunblock. Late. Run and apply yeah. some sunblock right now. <laughs> you know, it's never too late. And and here's the thing. I always um, say that, you know, uh, SPF is not your BFF. It, it, it is one of your friends in your inner circle, but you cannot have it be the only thing, right? It's part of your sun um, protection strategy because studies have shown that the vast majority of us put on 25 to 50% of the recommended amount of sunscreen. So those individuals are like, I don't want to wear sunscreen because it's going to block my vitamin D and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, if you put on the sunscreen, like they say to do in the studies, I hear you. It has been shown that it can decrease vitamin D production, but not shut it down. But the reality is most of us don't put on enough and nor do we reapply it uh, after two hours, like it's recommended. So you're still getting UV B exposure. That being said, based on your latitude, your longitude, and how much time you spend outside, the vast majority of us are still not getting enough exposure to generate the optimal levels that we need for vitamin D production. So most of us, after you get test, you, you test your levels, will still need vitamin D production. So um, yes. Yeah, I've doubled up on my vitamin D too because of, of exactly that. I live in the Northeast, uh, different times of year, we don't get as enough sun. And I know it's really important as a, as a health um, aid, really, and kind of combating a little bit of the effects of, of, of COVID as well. I mean, we're not getting into COVID. We're here to talk about skin, but vitamin yeah. D is obviously important. So you said SPF is, you know, not your only BFF. What are some of the other BFFs? Are we talking about yeah. hats and sunglasses and what else can so we do? Yeah. When you are outdoors and in the sun, 100%, um, you know, the Skin Cancer Foundation, sec, you know, says that clothing is our number one line of defense. And this is why one of my detours along the way was, um, you know, making prototypes for some protective clothing for our kids because good habits start young. You know, if you cover the vast majority of your body with clothing, when you're outdoors, you don't have to put the, the sunscreen on, especially if you're concerned about chemicals and absorption and all of that, but hats, sunglasses, clothing, seeking shade, getting outdoors earlier in the day or when later in the afternoon, early evening. Um, so the sun is not as intense, but from the inside out, really focusing on the things that we've, some of the things that we've talked about, sleep being number one, how you talk to yourself. When you look in the mirror, are you beating yourself up? Like, how are you handling your stress? Who are you spending your time with? Are you adding pleasure into your day? I'm telling you, if you don't put pleasure first, um, you're going to try and be filling the, the void with something else. You're going to overeat, uh, overdrink, and those things will wreak havoc on your skin, sugar, dairy, all the things for those of us who are more sensitive to dairy, especially inflammation. So it all boils down to lifestyle habits. Yes. And then when you go outside the, you know, all the other things. It's so interesting because I think uh, in our cul our culture has trained us to think that there are quick fixes and that you can produce you know stunning skin if you buy a hundred and fifty dollar bottle of something you know, 
And every once in a while, I mean, I, I feel like I, I feel, you know, pretty self-confident and I feel mostly good. I'm looking in the mirror, you know, that type of thing. But every once in a while, when I look in, I'll be like, ah, you know, looking a little rough. I realize it, it's because I've been out for a few nights and I've had like some wine with friends and I haven't prioritized sleep. And and it's so much more tempting to think if I spend 150 bucks on like a bottle of something, you know, versus going to bed and saying no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but you realize just actually getting into bed early, drinking water for a few nights and exercising actually makes you look better. So it's it's definitely um, it's not always fun, but it's something that's uh, so important to do. And. This is making me think of something that I saw on your Instagram. And by the way, I'm going to put um, Dr. Barr's Instagram into the show notes because she shares a lot of really wonderful tips and advice on it. But on your Instagram, I saw you making a homemade green clay mask. And I absolutely love that because as I was just saying, many skincare products and formulations are super ridiculously expensive. Um, so I'd love to hear your take on this. You know, What can we as listeners do a DIY on? And on the flip side, is there anything that's worth investing in that's a product? Yeah, great question. And and that idea of investing $150 in some fancy super serum, it's like, think about what you can invest in yourself, right? Time and care and attention. I mean, that's priceless. And every once in a while, there are some really great products out there. So um, I think in other than a great um, tinted moisturizer with sunscreen SPF 30 or above on the daily, uh, a, a great um, antioxidant serum that has at least vitamin C, vitamin E. There are some that also incorporate things like lycopene or resveratrol, grapeseed extract that can help bolster the skin as well. But an antioxidant that has vitamin C and E because those two vitamins work synergistically to help um, combat the free radicals that are produced when we are exposed to air pollution and uh, UV exposure. So that is a, um, a product that is. Those are worth investing. And do you have any specific ones to recommend? I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's some, yeah, I don't have, I don't have any affiliations with any uh, companies, but some that I've tried that I like is uh, Marie Veronique. Um, It's been formulated in collaboration with an esthetician who has such a holistic approach to things. She's lovely and they just feel yummy on your skin. Cause sometimes these products, they can burn Mm. um, and feel a little bit um, uncomfortable, but I do like that one. Nice. Okay. I'm going to, I'll get that spelling from you and put that in the show notes as well. And what can we DIY? I'm going to put your green clay mask into the show notes as well. But <laughs> I think I did that one with my daughter. Uh, you so know, I did fun. It's so fun. Yeah. I did a plant medicine uh, course deep in the forest of New Mexico uh, with an amazing mentor and, and um, really kind of got me into having fun in the kitchen. So yeah, like one of the masks, it was a goat's milk powder, um, green clay, and like a little bit of water. And it was just so soothing. Um, and different oils, like I'll make my own um, age embracing serum. I was going to, you know, we don't want to say anti-aging yes. serum, but with pomegranate seed oil and, and raspberry seed oil and just concocting things. Um, honestly, you, you can just Google if you're, whatever you're looking for, you will find it. It can be really simple, nice. really, really simple, but there are some great companies online. Again, no affiliation whatsoever, but I get a lot of my DIY stuff from mountain rose herbs in Oregon because they have organically sourced materials. 
Fantastic. That's such a wonderful, and it's, it's a fun thing to do with your daughter or to maybe do with, do with a group of girlfriends or just, you know, maybe spend on a Sunday night as you're getting ready to wrap your week, you know, wrap the weekend and start your week. It's fun to, um, you know, sort of self-care Sunday type thing to, to, you know, get, get in the kitchen and mix something up that you can use. Um, in a minute, we're going to be heading into a speed round because our time is ending. But before we do that, I I did want to ask you a little bit about, you know, what your own um, sort of skincare um, routine is. Do, do you have, are you like one of these sort of like low frills or because of your work, do you have something that's sort of complicated? What does a morning and an evening routine look like for you? Yeah, I love this question. Yeah, I am like the least frilly dermatologist <laughs> sometimes. I mean, I still don't even really know how to do my hair and makeup. I, I tell you my 17 year old, thank God for YouTube. When I have to go out somewhere, <laughs> she's doing my hair, she's doing my makeup. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's really simple because the more complicated it is for me, the least likely I am to do it. So three steps in the morning, um, three steps in the evening. Sometimes there may be one or two extra steps, but just a gentle cleanser followed by my antioxidant serum, followed by my moisturizer with SPF in the morning. Evening, very similar. Cleanse, apply a second round of the antioxidant serum. I do apply a topical retinoid um, because retinoids, uh, vitamin A derivative, they help skin cell turnover. They help promote collagen formation. They really help mitigate that dull, sallow complexion. And, And as we are maturing, skin cell turnover isn't working as efficiently as it used to. So having a gentle exfoliative agent on a consistent basis. And then every once in a while I will do um, like a true exfoliative mask or something every one to two weeks. Um, And then after the retinoid, because a topical retinoid can cause a little dryness, a little irritation, and it does make you more sun sensitive the next day, all the more reason to protect your skin uh, with that SPF moisturizer. I sometimes will um, mix the topical retinoid with a little moisturizer itself so that it's a little bit more nourishing, a little less irritating. And for those individuals who cannot tolerate a topical retinoid or retinol, which you can get over the counter, um, is using the ingredient Bacuchiol. And Bacuchiol has been around for a long time, but really has um, been popularized in the last couple of years in many of the beauty products because in um, there were head-to-head studies done with Bacuchiol and a topical retinoid that showed the efficacy was very similar, but Bacuchiol has the benefit of not creating that redness, irritation, and sensitivity that a topical retinoid does. Oh, fantastic. Because I've used those, those topical retinoids and I, I get a little red. So I agree with that. All right. This has been just chock full of so many great tips and, and pieces of advice. We're going to close with a quick speed round and share even more. Uh, so this is just sort of a yes or a no or one word answer, one to two word answer. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So this is, I totally want to know the answer to this, by the way. Which, <laughs> which goes on first, sunblock or moisturizer? Mm. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking, well, I'm using a moisturizer with sunscreen. It's like they're simultaneous. Um, what if, what if they weren't put, though? What if they weren't? I would put, um, put your sunblock on last. Got it. Okay. Uh, skincare superhero, the one product that you could not live without. Oh, my SPF moisturizer with tinted moisturizer. Okay. Best budget or drugstore skin product that you use. I would say um, my, oh, I love my face cleanser. 
it's derma e it's like an exfoliating face cleanser it's like 10 bucks nice mine is userin i love that from the drugstore um i don't know if i should be using that okay supermarket superhero what, what is the best food for healthy skin you can name more than one um gosh there are so many um, what's always in your cart beets Ooh, i love beets um just because adding fiber, it helps my GI system and uh, things moving. So keep things flowing and it has nitric oxide, open up those blood vessels, all, all the things to, to make my skin glow. Okay. First of all, I love that. That was a surprise. I was not expecting beets, but it did make me think of this really delicious and decadent beet hummus that my daughter makes, who's a vegetarian. So I'm going to find that recipe and put it in the show notes as well. It's delicious. Okay. Most surprising antioxidant that we may be overlooking? Melatonin. Melatonin. All right. Melatonin for the win. Uh, <laughs> favorite stress buster? Uh, dance party in my kitchen with my disco ball. <laughs> I love that too. I'm coming and I'm bringing my beet hummus. We're going to have some fun. Okay. If I weren't- With our, a do- green, with our green clay masks. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very colorful. Okay. If I weren't a doctor, I would be a- uh, TV show host. All right. I love it. Even though I don't have a TV show and I haven't started my <laughs> podcast yet, but that, that was my dream when I was little. <laughs> very, very fun. It's a good dream. Okay. Dr. Barr, this has been so much fun. Before I you know, say the final goodbye, how can our listeners keep following you, your work, learn more about your services and uh, get your skincare tips? Yeah. Well, on Instagram, absolutely is a place to find me. And I have some resources, especially um, some guides, glowing skin guide that'll give you a jump start. Uh, that isn't just about what you put on your skin. A lot of what we talked about today, another guide for seven ways to reduce anxiety in less than seven minutes, because that is a challenge for us right now with everything going on in the world. And my website, drkirabar.com is another great place. My book, The Skin Whisper, has a step-by-step process of kind of navigating some of these tips that we talked about today as well. This has been wonderful. Thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Super fun. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when dermatologist to the stars, Dr. Rosemary Ingleton, joins me to talk about cosmetic dermatology, plus skin products and treatments to address midlife skin concerns. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties. 